From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. that you have joined us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak. Today we continue a series of studies on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns shortly. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, found in his collection called Morning and Evening. Our text for this morning is found in the Epistle to Philemon and verse 2. The Church in Thy House Is there a church in this house? Are parents, children, friends, servants all members of it? Or are some still unconverted? Let us pause here and let the question go round. Am I a member of the church in this house? How would father's heart leap for joy and mother's eyes fill with holy tears if from the eldest to the youngest all were saved. Let us pray for this great mercy until the Lord shall grant it to us. Probably it had been the dearest object of Philemon's desires to have all his household saved, but it was not at first granted to him in its fullness. He had a wicked servant, Onesimus, who, having wronged him, ran away from his service. His master's prayers followed him, and at last, as God would have it, Onesimus was led to hear Paul preach. His heart was touched, and he returned to Philemon not only to be a faithful servant, but a brother beloved, adding another member to the church in Philemon's house. Is there an unconverted servant or child absent this morning? Make special supplication that such may, on their return to home, gladden all hearts with good news of what grace has done. Is there one present? Let him partake in the same earnest entreaty. If there be such a church in our house, let us order it well, and let all act as in the sight of God. Let us move in the common affairs of life with studied holiness, diligence, kindness, and integrity. More is expected of a church than of an ordinary household. Family worship must in such a case be more devout and hearty. Internal love must be more warm and unbroken, and external conduct must be more sanctified and Christ-like. We need not fear that the smallness of our number will put us out of the list of churches, for the Holy Spirit has here enrolled a family church in the inspired book of remembrance. As a church, let us now draw nigh to the great head of the one church universal, and let us beseech him to give us grace to shine before men to the glory of His name.
In this day of many uncertainties, the political unrest, widespread violence, and moral confusion, people are asking, what is it all about? What does life mean, or does it have any meaning? Thankfully, there is one place where despairing men, women, and young people can find the answers to those questions, the Holy Bible, God's inspired, inerrant word. The Apostle Paul, speaking of the gospel, wrote, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. He was referring to the righteousness that God gives to sinners on the basis of Christ's death on the cross. A medical doctor who found life's answer in Christ has written a brief summary of the central teaching of the Bible in a booklet called The Meaning of Life and the Love of God. In a few clearly written pages, he explains how sinners can find forgiveness and redemption in God's blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For a free copy of The Meaning of Life and the Love of God, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of The Meaning of Life and the Love of God, and we'll be happy to provide it. As Dr. Cairns continues his series of studies in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, he will bring the final portion of a message called The Inspiration of the Bible. Ephesians 6.17, the latter part of the verse, describes the Bible as the sword of the Spirit, where Paul says, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. According to both the Old and the New Testaments, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, Dr. Cairns has been showing that the existence of the sword of the Spirit is divine. Because of that, 
the excellencies of the Bible surpass those of any literature created by merely human hands. As he brings this message to a conclusion, Dr. Cairns emphasizes that the exercise of this sword is in the hands of the Holy Spirit, for it is the Spirit's work to apply the Word of God effectually to the hearts and minds of people. Now Dr. Cairns concludes this message, The Inspiration of the Bible, the Work of the Holy Spirit. You know, the whole Bible centers in Jesus Christ. Revelation 19 and 10 says that uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You could actually turn that around and say the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy, the spirit that's in the prophets, testifies of Jesus. This is the majesty of the message. Christ in all His perfection. And I want to tell you, when you come to the Bible, and you come to that message, there's only one way that you can explain it, that is that it's the very message of God. You take the accuracy of the statements of the Bible. The Bible has been held up to ridicule on history. The Bible is never wrong. Never wrong. I read an interesting thing recently. I had to laugh at it, mind you, the condescension that was dripping like syrup from the mouths of these people as they were saying. It was actually in the Greenville Piedmont, the Greenville News, they, they carried this. The scholars are now learning to pay a lot more attention, would you believe it, to the historical statements of the Bible. Because they had dug up some things out in Israel, and lo and behold, the Bible had been right all along. Big deal. I want to tell you, uh, archaeology is a wonderful science, and every time the spade has dug into Mid Middle Eastern soil, where it touches the Bible, it has always shown the Bible to be right. Archaeology can't prove the Bible. The Bible proves itself. I don't believe the Bible because of what the archaeologist says. I believe what the archaeologist says if it agrees with the Bible. It's as simple as that. The Bible's always right. You know, there was a time when, when the Bible spoke of Sargon. All the historical scholars said, this is myth, there never was such a person as Sargon. Now they found out there was. Uh, we were told that there never was such a person as Belshazzar. That was another biblical invention. Now they found out that the Bible was right all along. In fact, there's some of the ancient peoples that the Bible mentions, like the Hittites. And for quite a long time we were told those people never even existed. Now they find out that they did exist. And they have dug up from Mother Earth all the evidence that any man could need as to how they lived and what they did. The Bible's right all along. The Bible's right in history. It's right in chronology. Yes, it's right in science. That's not a teacher of science. But I want to tell you, the physics of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 and then Genesis chapter 6, 7 and 8, those physics are the basis of all proper study into the physical sciences. And anybody who disagrees will never come to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible is right when it speaks of science. The accuracy of its statements. The infallibility of its prophecies. 
regarding Israel, regarding Christ, regarding the nations, regarding the end time. You know, in the last century, there was a saying that the Jews were God's clock. And when preachers preached about the Jews regaining their own land and doing so in unbelief, only a mad preacher would say that. They were mocked. They were laughed at. I want to tell you, in 1948, the Jews became the possessors of their own land. And they did so in unbelief. There's no more atheistic nation under the sun than the Jewish people today. They are there. Well, the army is gathering together, as Ezekiel 37 so graphically puts it. Bone is being joined to bone. There is the formation, as it were, of a great army of men. But the breath of God is not in them yet. Oh yes, the prophecies are invaluable. And the credibility of the witnesses. You know, here's the greatest excellence of the Bible. And I'm going to leave out all the witnesses bar one. That is Jesus Christ. If this is not the word of God, Jesus Christ is the greatest imposter and the greatest liar and the greatest deceiver that the world has ever seen. And yet the very people who deny the Bible want to hold up Jesus as the greatest example that humanity could ever have. The two things don't fit. See what I mean? If your presupposition is right, your evidence will fit. The credibility of the witnesses. Now what do they witness to? They witness to miracles. The miracles of Scripture prove that the Bible comes from God. It's as simple as that. Then you take the potency of its influence. Wherever the Bible has gone, there's always been one, one stream of results. There's been enlightenment. If you want to see what the Bible can do, just have a look at the map of Europe before the Reformation and after the Reformation. Now, the Reformation, in my opinion, was the greatest revival since Pentecost. It was preceded by a renaissance, a revival of learning. But I want to tell you this, that the revival of learning could never have changed the face of Europe. Never. The greatest scholar of the age probably was Erasmus. Erasmus could write very witty criticisms of the Church of Rome. But at the end of the day, he buckled. And it was a very easy matter to take scholars and shut them up. But when God raised a scholar, who not only had got a grip of Greek and of Hebrew, but had been gripped by the Bible, when God raised a man who let the Bible loose on Europe, I want to tell you, the face of Europe was changed. And everything, and I emphasize that, everything that's decent that we have in Western life today comes back to this one thing, the influence of the Book of God. Then you take the invincibility of its testimony. Way back before the time of Christ, there was a man called Antiochus Epiphanes. 
He was going to wipe out the Jews, but he was certainly going to wipe out the Jewish Bible. I would say that except you're a theology student, you never heard of Antiochus Epiphanes. So what? He's gone. The Bible stands. Ever since then, there have been people who have been going to wipe it out. A few generations ago, Voltaire could predict that the Bible would soon be gone forever. Nobody would ever read it. Most people have never heard of Voltaire, never read a word that he said. They're all the better off for that. And the Bible is still the world's bestseller. There was another Colonel Ingersoll who thought that the Bible would have such a quick demise that within ten years there would be two theaters for every church. He's also gone. And though many churches are not worth too much for what they say and what they do, nonetheless, his prediction has been proved false and the Bible still stands. It has been burned, it has been denied, it has been criticized, it has been corrupted. By that I mean people have taken its manuscripts, people have even taken its translations like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They have done their best to corrupt it, but they cannot ever succeed. That's the unconquerable book. And you can't explain that apart from the fact that it's God's book. I have one final thing to say and with this we're closed. I've said that the existence of this sword depends on the Spirit. The excellencies of this sword are the product of the Spirit. Can I just remind you of this? that the exercise of this sword is in the hand of the Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. Now we take it, men take it, but it's God who makes it effective. To change the metaphor, Paul says, one sows and other reaps, it's God who gives the increase. This is a two-edged sword. It can wound and it can heal. It can bring you a message of life or it can give you a sentence of death. It's the sword of the Spirit of God. And the effectiveness of the sword of the Spirit comes not from the brilliance of the preacher, not from the intellectual attainments of the messenger, not from the oratory of the man in the pulpit, but it comes from the person of the Holy Spirit who inspired the book. What do we need in the preaching of the Word of God then? We need the Holy Ghost. That's what we need. Oh, we need to know the book. We need to take the book. But as we take the book, we ought to remember it's the sword of the Spirit we're taking. And as I take this book, it must be my prayer. Blessed Spirit of God, the author of this book, take it and effectually apply it to the hearts, the minds, the souls of men and women. Peter said, we are his witnesses, Christ's witnesses. Acts 5 and 32. We are Christ's witnesses. And so also is the Holy Ghost. whom God has given to them that obey him. So also is the Holy Ghost. God knows that's what we need in our preaching today. That's what we need in our pulpits today. That's what you need in your witnessing. Take the sword of the Spirit. Take it.
know it. You're told in the Bible, read the Bible. Study the Bible. Learn the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Obey the Bible. Preach the Bible. That's what you're told to do. You're never told to criticize the Bible. You're never told to make yourself Lord over the Bible. You're to submit yourself so that you get the Bible in your head and in your heart. And then go out and use it. i give you this example. Do you remember Eleazar, the servant of David? He fought against the enemy until the sword cleaved to his hand. That's how you use the Bible. You start off to get a grip on the Bible, and you get such a grip on the Bible that the Bible gets a grip of you, and then you're fit to use it. And you're not fit to use it until then. Grip the Scriptures. Pray God that the Scriptures will grip you. Go out and use them. You may not be a great speaker, but you use God's Word. You just use God's Word. And you can see God use His own Word to bring great fruit for the effectiveness of His book. It does not depend on you. The effectiveness of this book depends on Him who wrote it. Even the Spirit of God. May God give us the grace to see a second reformation the Bible will be let loose in all its pristine purity and power with the Holy Ghost effectually employing it to bring many to Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We are here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 